For years, dads in the media have been portrayed as fools and bumbling idiots, the constant butt of jokes. But according to a mountain of statistics, dads are one of the most stabilizing factors in a home and in the futures of their children. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is the Dad Ain't No Joke podcast. Our mission's simple, change the narrative about dads. Feature dads who are doing their best to serve their families and build a community of dads committed to those they love. Each episode will seek to have quality conversations with dads who are known or unknown about their highest highs and lowest lows, and with experts in the field who can share some of the most important elements dads bring to the family. Dad, one of the most challenging and rewarding jobs in the world. Well, Brian Cluth is a pastor. He's a best-selling author, a speaker, founder of HealthyCharity.org, PovertySolutions.Global. He was one of those that helped put forth BlessYourPastor.org, which I love. It's that time of year where you're really wanting to bless your pastor, uh, usually in October, but so grateful for this man and his ministry across the country. And Brian, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today. Colin, great to be with you and your listeners. And uh, we really want to encourage them in their dad journey today. And so looking forward to the conversation. Well, let's uh, start with your family. Tell us a bit about your family structure. Who's in the home? Who's out of the home? Yeah, I kind of got a good mix. So I, I married a wonderful gal when I was 27. We weren't able to have children for a number of years, a couple of miscarriages in there. So we adopted a one-month-old boy from Wisconsin. And then we had an opportunity to adopt a young girl from India. She was nine months old when we got her. And then when my wife turned 40, she got pregnant again. And when she turned 41, she had our natural born son. So we have three, three children, one natural, one domestic, one international. And then my wife went to heaven in 2010. And I had the privilege to remarry another incredible woman, 2013. And she has a daughter. So I have a stepdaughter also. So there's four, four children in the mix one wife in heaven and one amazing wife here on earth, the second one. So, Wow, what a story. Well, I want to get into that a little bit. Let's go back to those early years of those first times that you're trying to have a child. I want to talk for just a moment about that. We often hear the woman's side of this in various podcasts and programs. I want to take a moment with you to talk just for a moment about the the years of trying to have children and that not taking place. How did that impact you as a guy that wanted to be a dad? Yeah. You know, I, uh, for us, it was an interesting decision when my wife and I got married. And this was a decision that very few people made at that time. But we decided that the number of children and the timing of children would be up to God. And that we would enjoy our intimacy, we'd enjoy our relationship, but the, the children issue or not issue, the children coming into our life, that was all in the sovereignty of God. So we kind of set ourselves up for no matter what happened, it was okay because God was in control. So we didn't have children and we didn't know why. And I think after three or four years, we, you know, thought, okay, this, no children are coming. We went and got tested and uh, we were told that 40% of the time it's something to do with the woman, 40% of the time it's something to do with the man, 10% of the time it's something to do with the combination of the two, 10% of the time was they have no idea. Well, everything is should be working, and it's not. And we were that 10%. They have no idea. And then we had those two miscarriages, and those are hard. Those are probably around year seven or eight. 
probably yes, year seven and year eight, we had miscarriages. And that's tough. It, but it's more it's more difficult, I think, for the woman because that child is in her body. Uh, so for the man, I mean, you know, we're, hey, we're like, we're going to have a child. Great. But nothing's changing in our day-to-day world. For the woman, it's more, it's much more real. And, you know, there's things happening. So it was a tremendous loss, but it was a deeper loss for Sandy when we lost the two babies. I was obviously grieved and I, you know, was grieving with her. But I just needed to really support her because the the loss was much more deeper than it is for a man. A man's kind of like, oh, when the baby comes, like, oh, there's a baby. But up until then, it's uh, it's a little different. So, but then we just said, okay, God, we're trusting you, and we looked at adoption, uh, and we went with ECFA out of uh, Wisconsin. They're out of Wisconsin, Illinois, and we got our first son when he was a month old, and then they came back to us a year later. Or so. And said, hey, we're starting to expand into India. Would you be interested? And my wife and I had been to India a number of times. And so we said, absolutely. So we adopted a little girl out of India. Uh, let's go to that first adoption, that little boy. I think you said he was one month old. Talk yep. for a moment after not being able to have kids, after two miscarriages. Uh, what was in your heart? What what, what did God uh, show you through that ability to adopt that first child? Yeah, you know, there was just a lot of joy in that journey. Josh is an amazing young boy. It was interesting because, like, he was in foster care for that month, and the woman who did the foster care, she had taken care of 35 babies, and she said, God's hand is on this one, like like none I'd ever worked worked with. And she just said something special about this one. Which is interesting because we'll talk about this later. He's he has been a prodigal for many years, but I always tell people he's working on a great testimony. <laughs> so uh, that's been my approach because God's hand was on him from from a young child, and uh, I believe God's hand is still with him. But he's uh, he's been in quite a journey. So yeah, we will come to that in just a moment. What about the young yeah. girl from uh, India? A little different than the young boy from Wisconsin. How did that go? That was you know with with adoptions, I call it paper labor. You know with a with when you have a natural born child, you have nine months of pregnancy and then labor hard labor. But with adoption, there's so many things that can go wrong, and it's painful. So we had her. We were to pick her up nine different times. It got rescheduled nine times. And my wife was the one going over to India. I was staying with our son, Josh, who was two at the time. And it was so painful that they'd say, oh, this government official forgot to sign this paper. They changed the date. And then, oh, this piece of paper isn't isn't there. And they changed the date. So they kept postponing us. I think they strung us up for Two and a half months, we changed the flight nine times. So, so that was uh, pretty traumatic, again, especially for my wife who was going to pick her up. But obviously, when she got there, it was glorious and brought her home. And we had 40 people waiting at the airport, and it was pretty special. Let's talk about your natural-born son. Not only first natural-born, but in your early 40s. Talk for a moment about that <laughs> surprise. Yeah, when we'd go to grade school functions, they always thought we were the grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a joy to suddenly realize that she's my wife was now pregnant, and uh, it went you know that pregnancy went the distance, but there was trauma at the delivery. If I remember correctly, I think he had the umbilical cord around his neck, and he was he was dying in the womb. He was dying during delivery, 
So they had to do an emergency C-section just to get him out and uh, before he would have died in the moment. But he, he came out of that uh, of that, and, uh, you know, he's he's a 26-year-old young man working for Moody today. Hi, how about so, that? Uh, and also went, also went to Moody. So That's great. That's great. <laughs> Talk for just a moment about your wife passing and as a father. Obviously, as a husband, you have to deal with that yourself, just your own relationship and that loss. Yeah. How, as a father, did you process that through with your kids, and how how did that go? Yeah, well, it was uh, an eight-year journey. My wife was diagnosed with a, a serious breast cancer when she was 46, and they said she 85% chance she would die within a year. So we kind of prepared that she could have her heaven day sooner than later. Uh, God, in his mercies, extended her life eight years, and so uh, the kids— the kids at the time that she passed away, they were 13, 15, and 17. But we had eight years, so my kids are always very grateful for their mother. But I will say, becoming a father, as 54 kids, 13, 15, and 17, that was overwhelming, trying to be a father, partly because, as men, we don't realize the thousand things our spouses do for us and for our children every day. And when that spouse isn't there, Every, every, <laughs> everything is coming to you. And I compare it, I said, men are like a, uh, on a ball team, they're like a left fielder and they're standing out watching the game. They see stuff going on and occasionally the ball gets hit in their direction and they catch it and they walk off a hero. All right. But when the spouse is gone, every, every ball is coming to you. There's no one else on the field and it's overwhelming all the things that are that coming and you suddenly realize as a man oh my goodness i had no idea what my wife did for me and for the children and i say i tell men don't ever ask your wife what did she do all day because she probably did a hundred things and you're clueless so be incredibly grateful for your wife and all the things she does and all the things she does that you don't even know about what an incredible challenge uh, that had to have been not only at the age you were at the time, but just again, all of those details that you had to take in yourself and begin to to be dad and kind of mom to these three kids who weren't out of the house yet. I mean, they were still in the house, still yeah. involved in their activities in school and all of that. Uh, talk for just a moment, then we're going to get to the kids a little bit and the story of the prodigal, but yeah. you were able to remarry. The Lord brought another lady into your life in 2013. Yep. Yeah. How did that process go? How did you as a dad introduce a new mom, if you will, into the household? How did that whole process go? Yeah, uh, so I actually started a singles ministry in Denver, Colorado. I, as a 50-some-year-old man, I didn't even know how to have single friends. I couldn't find them. I mean, all my friends were were, uh, were married. So I started the ministry with about 30 people on Tuesday nights. It was Bible tea. It was dinner. Bible teaching and discussion, and we looked at singleness in the Bible, and I did the teaching on it, and that little event grew to 250 to 300 every week. People came from all over, I mean, up to two hours drive to come to this on Tuesday nights, and so in that world, I began to make friendships, and in that world, I met my wife, Mary Ellen, and I have anyone single listening, and I've got some materials, they can contact me. But I've got some very, very helpful materials, the videos and the teaching of that time. Glad to make it available for free to you. So I, I met my wife and then I have I, I developed a thing, 10 phases of 
healthy Christ-centered relationships. I call it friends with, uh, boundary, with boundaries and blessings, not benefits. And in there, I talk about the phases you have to go through. And it's phase about six, five or six, where the children get introduced to the family. You don't just you don't just suddenly spring a new person into the kids' lives quickly. That has you really have to be on pretty solid ground before you're going to that place. So yeah, so we probably my wife and I were dating probably four four or five months before I had her first meet the kids, and then I met her daughter, and so uh, it went very very well. For my kids and her daughter did not go so well for me and her daughter. Her daughter was having a hard time with the loss of her dad. So any anybody in her mom's life was a was a difficult thing. So let's talk for a moment about your your kids and specifically. I know you mentioned it earlier. There's a story of a prodigal. Talk for a bit about how that came about when you began to realize that uh, this young man was headed in a different direction, how the family has processed that, how as a dad you've worked through that. And then I know you have some lessons you'd love to share from some of what you've learned during this process. Yeah. And and it's kind of twofold is the prodigal, but I also had the godly son. So I say I I was the Luke 15 dad. So I, I was, you know, intimate relationship with the godly son and then had the prodigal son who, you know, was struggling what I would, uh, and we'll get into this with the lessons, but when you have a wife or a spouse that's sick or dying or dies, that's really traumatic for a child or a teenager, especially around your theology of a loving God, because they're like, I prayed and we asked God to heal her and we asked God to save her, and and then she died. And so for a lot of kids and teens, they just, and even some of their spouses, they don't, they don't handle it well. They get bitter instead of better. You know, I say bitter is you focus on the I and you'll get bitter or E, you focus on the E, Emmanuel, God with us and you'll get better. But so each of my three children took a different path of dealing with the trauma of their mom's cancer and then my mom's death. And my oldest son, turn to drugs, to alcohol, other things to self-medicate the pain. My daughter uh, went more to just, you know, I I don't believe in God anymore, uh, but she didn't really go down the prodigal route. And then my youngest son really, you know, went, sought hard after God, turned to the scriptures, turned to Christian friendships. So they each took a very, very different path in relationship to what happened in our family uh, and how that ex- how that experience impacted their thoughts on God. Uh, incredible trauma in the life of a young person, and obviously you're dealing with three very different situations that you've just described. They're not the same, and I think that's one thing we all learn as parents pretty quick, is our kids are always very different. Uh, no matter how we raise them, most of us try to raise them similarly, uh, but they're all very different. Talk for a moment about what you did as you began to see the prodigal heading that direction. What what kinds of things did you do? How did you try to fix it? What what, what did, how did you process that as a dad? Yeah, well, my wife was living during some of those prodigal years because when she had the cancer, but we saw friendships were a problem, so we shifted him to a Christian school. Uh, that didn't that didn't turn him around. We then ultimately, because he was in such a difficult place, we actually sent him to a Christian boarding school. So he had a season there. That didn't help him. 
Uh, we then had some kind of like some relatives, close friends that loved him. They were missionaries in Romania. And they said, we would love to have Josh come and live with us. And he had a great experience in Romania. But that didn't, you know, ultimately, you know, so he's, he would always have seasons of sobriety and clarity. But then he would kind of come back and then just fall off the wagon again. So, so all of those experiences, the boarding school, that was a good experience. But then he fell again. Then he went to, the, you know, the mission field. And then he fell again. He even went to Bible school in New Zealand, Torchbear Bible School. Again, looking to just get him on the right path. And he did fine there and then came back and fell again. So he's just just had a series of constantly going back. Uh, and one of the things I would just say on that is when you're dealing with adopted children, there are dynamics, even generational dynamics that you're not aware of. I, I think most of us adopt and say, we're going to love this child and this child's going to be awesome. And, and my son is awesome in many, many ways. He's got great qualities. But there are things built in, even with my daughter too from India, that you're dealing with that are unseen to you but truly impact their life, their life choices, their patterns. Uh, and so it's not just about nurture. It's also about nature. And so I've known many people have, have adopted children. And, and it was actually has been a very difficult experience with adopted children. And they just were constantly in a battle that they seemed they could never win. I know you, uh, through these experiences, have developed some uh, kind of lessons that you've learned, uh, some takeaways from where you are currently. Could we step through those, give us a little idea of of what you're talking about? Because I think even if we don't have a prodigal at the moment, even if we don't have adopted kids, I think we're all going to see some truths in these things that you've pointed out. And and how to think through and process them. I'm uh, glad to do that, Colin. Uh, lesson one is you can raise your children, but they will make their own choices. And I always tell my kids they're free to choose, but they're not free to choose their consequences. I just had this conversation with my son, my 30-year-old son yesterday about buying a motorcycle. <laughs> I said, I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, I wouldn't advise you to do it. I've fallen off of mo motorcycles. It hurts. But I said, you're 30 years old. You got to make your decisions, and you get to live with the consequences, good or bad. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thing. Uh, so you just, so you you seek to raise them well, but you don't you don't take all the credit. You don't take all the blame. Uh, sometimes people, either parents, just say, oh, it's all about me and the great job I did, or they take all the blame for everything that goes wrong, and you can't do either. God created them as individuals and they will make choices. And again, I have a, I have a good and godly son that's made amazing choices and, and has done so well in life. And I'm so proud of him. Uh, and I love all my kids I'm in, in various ways. I'm proud of all my kids, but that's, that's lesson one. You can raise them the same, but they will make their choices. Uh, number two is that we mentioned this children will go, go through family difficulties or tragedies and they'll all, they all can take a different path. Pain is real, and I talked about the theology of a loving God. So in my in my story, they all they all chose a different path on how to respond that way, uh, and just we just have to realize that that's going to happen, and you can't just you can't they're they're not robots. You can't program them to how to respond. So you got to work with them in their responses. And number three, this is a fun one for me. Sometimes raising children is like whitewater rafting. I live in Colorado. <laughs> I just went right water rafting with my uh, with my with my 30-year-old uh, son and a friend of his and uh, my wife. And whitewater rafting is awesome. You go down this river 
and it's calm and it was a beautiful day and you're zipping along. Oh, it's great. And all of a sudden the rapids come. And oh my goodness, depending on the severity of the rapids, I mean, you're bouncing, water's shooting on you, you're freezing, you're paddling, and, and you just try to get through the rapids and hope that no one falls out of the boat. And I felt as a dad, much of my dad years have been whitewater rafting. It's, everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, one of the kids or two of the kids, something happens and we are going through an episode of whitewater rafting and we're trying to keep everybody together and everybody safe and everybody in the boat. So anyway, and uh, but calm waters do come again. <laughs> so, so just realize sometimes you're going to be going through the rapids. Let's see. Number four, this is related to addiction, uh, drug or alcohol addiction. I say addiction is giving up everything for one thing. Recovery is giving up one thing for everything. Oh, Let me say that again. I like that. Addiction is giving up everything for one thing. Recovery is giving up one thing for everything. And with my my oldest son, uh, and uh, and I, he, I told him I was going to do this, and I sent him these lessons, and he said he was fine with me sharing. He struggled with various addiction things from 13 to 30. And in those seasons of addictive behaviors or using various things to self-medicate, you lose everything. You, you, you lose good relationships with your family. You lose your job. You lose money. You may lose your car. You may lose a place to live. I mean, he, he went through terrible experiences and tremendous losses that he, you know, grieves over. But uh, the, the good news at, at the moment is, and I always said he's working on a great testimony and God's going to use him to touch a lot of lives. But he's now in a season of recovery, giving up one thing, the addiction, <laughs> to gain everything. And he has a home where he's living. He has a job. He has responsibility. He has money. He's, you know, we're in a good relationship. He's got a plan for the future. He's working towards his future. He's working towards good goals. There's tremendously good things happening in his life right now. He's going to church with us on his own initiative. He went to church on his own for the first time in, I don't know, 10, 15 years. He went on his own recently. So there are some things we're seeing happen as we waited these 17 years. But we're great, very grateful for where he is at, at this moment. And then number five, the path forward is always love. You never want to move to hatred, you know, or anger and all of that. I mean, anger may be there, but you got to process that. The path forward is always love, but real love looks different than you might think. Real love will always cost you financially, emotionally, and spiritually. So real love for us with Josh was sending him up for Christian school or sending him to a Christian boarding school or sending him to Bible school. Those things all cost. But there's also the cost of the hurt and the heartache when it still wasn't enough to get him to get him on track. Uh, what I'm most encouraged about recent, most recently with him is all of the choices he's making aren't my interventions. They're his choosing. So that's why I have real hope. It's not what dad trying to fix it. It's him choosing a different path. So that's that's what's most encouraging about my oldest son right now. And then uh, and then my youngest son, again, he. He loves scripture. He now has a ministry called Scripture Live. He performs scripture live, dramatically performs it. The, the lives of Daniel, Elijah, Moses, one man passion play. And he and he turned to God and he turned to scripture 
So God turned his pain into gain. And so for him, loving him was sending him to, you know, to a church Bible school, was sending him to uh, to Moody Bible Institute, you know, helping him, you know, with his ministry, getting it launched. So love looks different, but you, you got to make choices to love it. And w- one other love choice was when Josh was using drugs and he was living with us for a while, we said, Josh, you cannot be in our home and use drugs. And we know you're using drugs, so you have to leave. Now, where you go, I don't know where you're going to go. And what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. But we do love you, and you are always welcome in this home, and you are always welcome to come for a meal, and you're always welcome at every gathering we have. But you cannot live here and use drugs. So you do have to leave the house for our sake, for my wife's sake and my sake. You cannot be here and be using drugs. And so we had to let him go. And and that led to some very uh, difficult season, a very difficult season in his life. But he knew these were choices he was making. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about is kind of that tough love thing. Obviously, in the midst of all the things you tried to do for him, there were moments like that where you just had to say, we have to part ways in this space because of the the, the kind of activity you're involved in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely had to do that. We had to really cut off financial financial support. I said, I cannot enable you to live the life you're living and with the choices you're making. If you want to go live that life, then you, then that's on you. That's not on us. But if you're looking to, you know, get a degree or looking to take classes or you're, you know, we helped him, you know, get a vehicle so he could go to work, we'll help you in life, but we're not going to help you continue to live and make bad choices. So yeah, we, We've had to have those conversations. Well, you've uh, shared the incredible work that you're, what you would refer to your godly son is doing and and how he's using the pain and the trauma and the lessons of his life to uh, to further the work of the Lord through uh, his scripture live presentations and the other work he's doing. Your son, Josh, uh, at a good point at the moment, and that's something we can rejoice over. I mean, He's in a good place. He's got work. He's got money, as you said, a place to live. Uh, boy, that's that's exciting as well. How's your daughter doing? How's your stepdaughter doing? Uh, so my daughter's had some real struggles, and we see her on a regular basis, and she's still trying to process where – I mean, we just had this conversation on Saturday. She said, how could God let uh, – her son died. She was married, and her son died. And she's like, how could God let my son die? Mm. And so, again, we had to – process where's a loving god in this so we see her all the time and she's she's trying to take strides in her faith but is still struggling and then i do have a stepdaughter that she's in a the extreme place of not happy with god not happy her mom married a christian and so that's a that's a difficult relationship but our path is love uh, every 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 day, our question is, how can we love her? What can we do to love her? How can we, how can we show her love? Uh, even when she's not always loving, we're sensitive and always in prayer. How can we show her God's love? So, yeah, so I've got kids in different places, and this parenting thing never stops. Yeah. Until <laughs> Jesus takes you home, uh, you're going to be parenting Amen. kids in different places or grandkids in different places. Amen. And take the path of love and care and prayer and let God lead you because it's there's not. Uh, I always said I wish as a parent I was given a magic wand that I could just wave and make everything better. 
But when they passed out the magic wands, I was not in the line that day. So I never got that magic wand. So I just had to take parenting, you know, a day at a time. Yeah, yeah, we all do. There's no real manual for it other than the Bible. And it's not very specific about a lot of parenting issues. So uh, <laughs> we just have to use God's principles and and utilize them the best we can. Yeah. In our final moments here, Brian, and I truly appreciate your uh, openness and uh, authenticity in sharing these things and your willingness of your kids to allow you to, to share some of these things. You know, we're at a stage where we've got adult kids. I'm in the same stage. There may be some young dads listening today. They may have, you know, a newborn or a toddler or an elementary school kid, and they're thinking there's a few tough things they're they're dealing with. I don't want to be to be scared of the kids growing up, but it it does to me get a little tougher when the stakes get higher. Uh, maybe just a word of encouragement for those young dads today about things they can do, things they uh, ways they can pray, moves they can make at this point of these children's lives, and and just some kind of outlook for the years ahead. Well, one, one thing I, I was incredibly grateful for the years when uh, a happy meal at McDonald's solved all my kids' problems. <laughs> so dads definitely yeah. keep that too. That. Uh, that tool in your tool chest, uh, Happy Meals at McDonald's can really solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, as they get older, it gets more challenging. Um, as I look back, the, and, and it's very tough to do this, but we live in a world where kids can be influenced dramatically by uh, social media. And what I mean by that is like, when you grew up, when I grew up as a kid, you know, my, my parents would say, there's a bad kid in the neighborhood. Don't go to his house. So they could physically see that kid's a bad kid. Stay away from that kid. And all right, so I played with my other friends on the street. But but your kids are playing on the street, not with kids on the street. They don't even go out of the house. They're on the screens. And they're on, they're on TikTok. And they're on this and they're on that. And I don't know the solution on how you govern that. But you're letting your kids play with some really bad people. And I let my kids play with some really bad people, partly out of ignorance, because I didn't know what they were watching. I didn't know what they were on. I didn't know what they were always listening to. And so I don't, again, have the solution. But I do think that there were influences that came into their life through music and through social media that that were not good influences and that definitely affected them. But I will just admit, I didn't always know how to handle that or solve that. And it's even more complicated today. I mean, now you got kids five years old getting a phone and on it all the time where they get a little a little screen thing. Uh, and, and the other thing, I just do want to say this. There was a little boy, first grade. They, they, they said, draw a picture of anything you could be in life. And the little boy drew a cell phone. And the teacher said, Johnny, that's interesting. Why did you draw a cell phone? He said, well, if I was a cell phone, then mommy and daddy would pay attention to me. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, here's a little boy, six years old. And he thought, if I could only be a cell phone, then mommy and daddy will pay attention to me. So whatever age you are, be careful with your use of social media, not only for your kids, but also for yourself and the time you put on it. And when you can, you know, be present without your phone, put your phone in the other room be present with your kids. Some good lessons today. Brian Kluth, a pastor, a, an author, speaker, philanthropist, so many things uh, that he has been doing over the years. Uh, one of those things has been learning some very valuable life lessons. And 
Brian, thank you for sharing some of those lessons and some of your life with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, Colin, thank you. And I'm grateful for your listeners. And hopefully it's something will be a blessing to them and help. Well, my thanks to Brian for joining me today. How many life lessons has he learned and how many are there to go? We all have experiences like that. I hope there's something you can take away from our conversation today. If you want to learn more about Brian or the five points he shared, check out today's podcast notes or stop by our website at dadaintnojoke.com. That's dadaintnojoke.com. Please like and subscribe to the podcast, share it, leave your comments. It really does make a difference. While it may not be the toughest job on the planet, being dad is an important and impactful assignment. May God give us strength and wisdom to do it well. And remember, dad ain't no joke. We'll see you next time.